That's good. We need some enthusiasm because we've got about half full church this morning. I was thinking the other week, um, I was hosting, if you were here, I noticed every time I get asked to host, it's when Sam's away. It's like, is that because he can't stand it and he only asks when I'm not here or he trusts me? I'm trying to figure that one out. And then the one week he's away and it's a long weekend, then I get asked to preach. So you're like, what's going on here? But either way, we're going for it today. Welcome. Good morning. It's actually really nice to sit on this stool. And look at this, the one they brought me. Look at that. We'll see if we can work that in there somewhere. Um, Hey, but uh, let's start with a question this morning for you guys. Who here has visited a foreign culture where hospitality there has knocked your socks off? Like a culture where they take hospitality to the next level. Hand up if you've had an experience like that. Just keep it up for a moment. Yeah, let's just ask. Bruce, where did you go? Philippines. Where was that, Kieran? China. In the back, Dan. Netherlands. Vanuatu. You get the idea. Oh, you wanted to say, yeah, go ahead, Nikkei. Tonga. Yep. Um, me too. Uh, I experienced some Egyptian hospitality at one point in my life, Middle Eastern hospitality, Jesus' own cultural roots. And what I found so compelling and so challenging was that these people were generally poor. You know, they had very little, yet they lavished on me with generosity in their homes. They set huge feasts for me, opulent portions. They were willing to bend over backwards to meet any need, and they really seemed to enjoy what they were doing at the same time. But sometimes hospitality goes wrong. So let me tell you a story. So I went to Egypt after university, and I went there to teach evening English classes through the Coptic Orthodox Church there, and to travel. And I received frequent invitations into people's homes, six-foot-three albino, it's hard to hide in Egypt, and I was like a catch for them. Get the white foreigner into me, my house for hospitality. Anyway, the thing is, there are sneaky, unspoken rules about these Egyptian meals. You learn them over time, but you don't know what you don't know. So I walked into one of my early dinner invitations like a lamb to the slaughter. So there was this bountiful spread. Oh, no, that's not the one. Come on. There's a nice picture of a bountiful spread. It's an important part of the story. Um, At the time, I'm 23, so I love to eat. And I'm hungry, and it's delightful. I have a huge plate of food, eat it all, enjoy it, and I'm stuffed. Ah, thinking that was it. That was awesome. But then what's this? The table is just full of food again. Oh, oh, no. Um, okay, I, I try to eat some more food, but I'm genuinely full. But these people, they don't take no for an answer. Eat, eat! You haven't eaten anything! I'm like, whoa, okay, I'm trying, but like, I'm actually, I can't eat anymore. And I say so, I can't, I can't. And the host, the lady, she picks up a drumstick from my plate and comes over and starts putting it in my mouth. <laughs> eat, eat, you're not eating anything! I finally convinced this crazy woman that I think I'm going to die, and they put the food away. Like, oh, safe, I did it, what a night. But oh no, there's more. Then comes dessert. Like, I'm in need of medical attention at this point, but the wounded, hurting eyes when I say, no, oh, fine, I'll eat it. And so I stuff it in somehow. I'm in rough shape. And they say, oh, let's go for a walk in town. And I'm like, please, fresh air, anything, let's go. I'm like propped up between their teenage son and his friends, barely holding it together. I'm like, I'm not gonna eat for days at this point. And the son just shows up with this cup of street food, rice pudding, steamy, rich, creamy rice pudding. I almost start to cry. I try to distract these guys so I can like throw it down a dark alley in town. I'm really desperate here. But he just keeps staring at me like, eat it, eat it. So through some miraculous hospitality miracle, I eat this rice pudding. Like I'm waiting for my guts to rip apart and die of septicemia here. 
I think they can tell that I'm not myself at this point. I'm very quiet. I'm like barely breathing as we walk through town. And so they drive me home, four across in the back seat, bumpy road on the way home. Um, I'm just like, don't puke on the Egyptians. Don't puke on the Egyptians. They've been very kind to me. And I make it to my compound. I'm like, thanks for the lovely evening. I watch them drive away. The taillights go around the corner. Blah! Just vomit like the Nile in flood all over the paving stones. But oh, the relief. Uh, and then I look up, kind of wiping my face, and there's this table of the watchmen at the door, their card game frozen in action as they're just staring at this albino monsoon like six feet in front of their table. And I just stared back. I don't speak any Arabic yet. Welcome in Egypt. Walk straight to my room. Never again. You got to learn the rules of hospitality in Egypt. Oh man, sometimes hospitality goes really wrong. So 100 tables, anybody? In Egypt, 100 tables, one sitting. Um, so in case you're new here, the 100 tables thing is this term. We're focusing on hospitality as a whole church. I'm trying to slow other things down and make space for meals. So if you're in a home church, we're trying to create space to eat as a home church. As Luke said, inviting people from work, from the neighborhood, from the church, just in any way possible. Um, it's the whole push this term. So we've been exploring hospitality for two weeks. Sam spoke on the centrality of hospitality to the kingdom of God in Charlotte on hospitality and community as the antidote to loneliness. Today is a day for those of us who are a bit reluctant hospitality doers like me. Uh, we can logically see that it's a compelling practice. Hospitality runs throughout the scriptures. It's central to God's work on earth and is a powerful practice. Yes, yes, yes. But I, don't st I still don't want to do it. So what's that all about? You know, I feel resistance within myself. I feel like it's difficult. It disrupts my schedule. It's an imposition on my peace, on uh, my quiet and my comfort. It shakes up my, my routines, and other people can be hard work sometimes. Um, yet, on the other side, I desperately want to be like Jesus, and his ministry was full of hospitality. And I'm quite sure that he didn't engage in it begrudgingly. You know, he had a mindset and a posture of heart that naturally led him into a life abundant in hospitality. So I want that mindset. I want that heart posture. Uh, if hospitality is so powerful and effective in so many ways, then why don't I want to do it? So today I want to look at five barriers together, barriers to hospitality. So just a warning of intent, uh, the point of this time together is not to memorize five barriers to hospitality. Let's be honest, after three days from now, nobody's going to remember all five barriers. I'll be pleased if you remember one barrier in three days' time. The point of this time together is to ask God which barrier he's inviting you to break through today. If you've had an extra cup of coffee, maybe two barriers today. Maybe there are some hospitality superheroes among us who will go for all five. I don't know. Uh, hospitality lovers in the room might even find something here today. Um, if you're lucky, the first barrier will be the first one. Five minutes in, you'll be sorted for the week. You can take a rest, check your Rugby World Cup pool. Poor suckers have to wait until barrier five for your one. But you'll see. We'll see. Here we go. Let's go. Barrier one. Oh, sorry, I know it says seven. There were seven, but it was too long, so we got five. <laughs> Forgot to change the PowerPoint. <laughs> Barrier one. You may be feeling uh, the compelling draw to hospitality, but you may also be feeling the I can't do this feeling. My home is too small. My home is too messy. I can't afford that kind of food. I don't have the skills. Those things might actually be true, uh, but that's why we need to make clear the distinction between entertaining and hospitality. Uh, entertaining assumes a beautiful and spacious home, fabulous food, gregarious personalities, high-class guests, but that's not hospitality. 
We've touched on this each week. We keep saying simple is fine, but it's more than that. You know, fancy can actually head in the wrong direction. John Mark Comer clearly articulated this difference in his hospitality series at Bridgetown in Portland, and I just ripped it off. Here's how he compared entertaining and hospitality. So we've got entertaining. This is about exclusion, the in crowd. There's a social hierarchy there. Hospitality is about inclusion, open table, all welcome. Entertaining is about performance, ultimately showing off your home, your culinary skills, your income, the status of your friends. Hospitality is about service and tangible love. Entertaining, there is a clear host and a clear guest, and there are clear roles. Whereas in hospitality, there's a blurred line between the host and the guest. They both give, they both receive, they both contribute. Guests are not just consumers. Entertaining is an event. Hospitality is ideally aware of life, regular, rhythmic. Entertaining, there's an implied reciprocity there. I have you over, you have me over, you got it next time. Whereas hospitality is founded on generosity. You give, and you expect nothing in return. Um, Giving is itself the gift. And lastly, entertaining is a marker of stratification. You know, you aim socially upwards when you entertain. But hospitality is about justice for the poor. You aim socially downward. Jesus himself said at a dinner party, do not invite your friends, your siblings, your relatives. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. So if you think hospitality is actually entertaining, then many of us in the room will come up short because we don't have what it takes to entertain. Can't cook, we don't have the right home, can't fold those napkin swans. We don't carry the social status to pull this off. Um, However, if you see hospitality as just eating and drinking together, then all we need is some food and some people. Everybody can cook or buy food. Everyone eats pretty much every day. So everybody can talk to others. Everyone can ask questions. Everyone can listen. You know, everyone in the room can do hospitality. It's accessible. But take this from Pete Craig. People tell me they have the gift of hospitality, by which I think they mean they like dinner parties. And they aspire to have beautiful homes. And they enjoy entertaining, exotic, interesting, appreciative guests. This is not the gift of hospitality. This is the gift of a box of chocolates. Biblical hospitality starts in the heart is not, and not the Ikea catalog. It allows for interruption, goes the second mile, welcomes inconvenience. Above all, therefore, hospitality is outworked in a posture of radical presence, an attitude of attentiveness, availability. And he says, this is where I fail all the time. And I appreciate Pete's vulnerability there because that's where I fail all the time too. So everybody can do hospitality, but it's still a bit hard. So it's not a lack of resources or skills. Those hold us back from entertaining. Hospitality has a lot more to do with the state of heart and mind, which is a perfect segue into barrier two. That line, hospitality has a lot more to do with the state of your heart and your mind. Uh, We'll talk about some motivations. So take a moment, when you consider inviting someone to join you at the table, as you maybe have thought about this morning, you know, who could I invite? I want you to think this morning, what motivates you to do that? You know, why are you inviting them to eat and drink together? I can tell you what goes on in my heart. I've thought about it the last few weeks. It's actually a bit of a mess. Uh, Number one, we've got duty and obligation, like tick a box. That's going on in there. Um, We're commanded to be hospitable, so I do it. There may be a splash of guilt tossed in there. Um, If I don't do this thing, I'll feel the weight of the guilt, so I better get on with it. You know, either way, I'm going to toe the line. Second, I can feel in me a bit of a competitive spirit. I will win. I will be the best at this. It's hospitality this term, is it? I can do that. I can do that better than anybody. Come on, there's some of you out there. You're feeling it. Uh, Third, I also feel, this is strong, an approval from peers. I want to be seen as a good person and as a good Christian. I want to look impressive. I want to matter. I want to be highly esteemed. And that's definitely rooted in pride. 
maybe also a dash of insecurity, depending on who you are. Either way, the treasure there is in the opinion of my peers. And then last, there's the same, but approval from God. I know his approval is based on his mercy, his grace, his compassion, but my intuition tells me that he will smile on me a little brighter if I just do the stuff, and that he may frown on me a little darker if I don't do the stuff. You feel that before. There may even be a mix of fear in there. You know, like, do the stuff or else. Um, there's probably more things in there. These are the ones I could dig up in the muck of my own heart. I hope you can see that there's a common thread there. If I'm motivated by that stuff, um, then the focus of hospitality is all about me, my duty, my performance, what I look like, what God thinks of me. Surely there's a better way than that. I recognize that motivations are complicated, you know, but there is a gold standard here. I thought immediately of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You can read the rest there. Yeah. Um, Paul reminds us in this chapter that if our actions are not motivated by love, they're empty. You know, words not motivated by loving kindness are just noise, gongs and cymbals, he says. Um, actions of generosity and hospitality not motivated by loving kindness can be quite fruitless. Now, Jesus lived a life of abundant hospitality because he loved the people he ate with. You know, love, meaning that he sought their good, their good above even his own. Not just an emotional feeling of affection, you know, but a decision of the will. That word love, I feel like it's been ruined in our culture. We're not talking about dripping red hearts here. We're picturing something much more robust, more substantial. You know, you think about the climax of God's love in the biblical story is his own son, Jesus of Nazareth, body torn, breathing his last nail to a cross. That day was not about gushing emotions. It's about goodwill, Christian charity, loving kindness. It's meaty. If you recall Philippians 2 from last term, um, we got in there, humility, in humility, value others above yourself. Have the same mindset of Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus shows us what it looks like to love. So the question is, do we genuinely seek to desire out the good of those we invite to our table? And intertwined with that, do we genuinely desire to seek out the good of God himself through our hospitality? You know, love of God, love of neighbor, you may have heard that these, uh, the entire law and the prophets are summed up in these things. It's a big deal. So back to the question, what motivates you to invite someone to your table and me? Again, maybe it depends on who you're inviting to the table, you know, for close friends, family faces, uh, familiar faces, family. There's definitely a sense of enjoyment of being together, a warmth. And of course, you have goodwill towards your friends. Our friends tend to be a lot like us. But what about somebody who you don't know very well from church or your neighborhood or someone who's really different from you? You know, somebody of a different walk of life, uh, a different social position, a different level of education, political opinion, theological view, family culture, way of parenting, personality, set of social skills. Just look around the room. Uh, you can probably lock eyes with a couple of weirdos around here that tick half of those boxes for you right now. Maybe you get that feeling looking at me right now. The thing is that that person that seems like a weirdo to us, we look like a weirdo to them too, just as much. So you might be thinking, well, hold on. Why do they have to be different from me? You know, what's wrong with the people like me? Are you sure this is what God had in mind? Uh, yes. Yes, I am sure. We could preach a whole series about this. But firstly, why the different thing? Why different people? Well, okay, Sam already shared and showed us uh, that this is the Jesus way to live. This is the Jesus way he shared in his first sermon. Uh, consider this from Tim Keller. Jesus shocked the social sensibilities of the day by receiving and treating all classes of people with equal love and respect. 
Samaritans were seen by the Jews as racial inferiors, yet twice Jesus places Samaritans on the same spiritual level as the Jews. Jesus touched off a riot when he declared that God loved Gentiles as much as Jews. Jesus reached out to lepers who were social outcasts, touching them, defying the contemporary social prohibitions. He exhorted his disciples to not only be generous to the poor, but to welcome them into their homes and families. And through the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus defined loving my neighbor as giving practical, financial, and medical aid to someone of a different religion and race. Both doing justice and loving one's neighbor means treating people of all races and religions and social classes as equal in dignity and worth. It's a powerful set of statements there. You can see that Jesus went out of his way to be with different people when he was here. Secondly, Jesus was not blazing new territory here. His ideas and practices about equality are rooted in God's view of justice. We see it throughout Scripture. The law, the Proverbs, the Psalms, the prophets. Hospitality is a practice that helps us embody the reality that all people are made in God's image. Championing equality and undermining human social inequalities. So within this framework of love and justice, that's where we go back to our motivations for hospitality with different people. Duty, obligation, competitive spirit, approval from others, approval from God, and more. It's uncomfortable to sit with those dysfunctional motivations. Uh, It can feel a bit hopeless because you're like, how do I change that? And we're so often so far from being motivated by pure and heavenly loving kindness and goodwill. You might be able to relate. But you have to keep in mind, of course, we're human. Sorry to say, our motives are always going to be mixed. Jesus knows. He knows your motives better than you do. He longs to do hospitality with you anyways and me. In Jesus, there's so much mercy and compassion and grace. You know, he'll work with us, whatever state of heart and mind we come. The reality still remains, though, that if your driving motivations are other than loving kindness and goodwill, then the hospitality may just be gongs and cymbals, empty, fruitless. So our motivations, that said, are probably not so binary. You know, it's not either all love or no love, all goodwill or all no goodwill. Most of us are not in danger of loveless hospitality. It's just if you're like me, you have this inner pie chart. Pie time. Here's my pie. Um, you might have different slices, okay, but you're going to get the point here once we find our pies. Is there pies there? There's no pies. Oh, that's so sad. I made this great pie chart with this big slice with the approval thing, little slice with competitive nature. Love's in there, but it's not that big. That's like a bad day. And on the good day, there was a pie with mostly love, a little bit of approval, a little bit of competition, a little bit of this stuff. You're like, where's my pie? Wouldn't it be great to move from this pie to that pie where love just takes over your pie? I'm sure you can picture it. It was pretty good, but whatever. That's why we preach on the long weekend. <laughs> oh, there is room for growth there in love for each of us. You know, there's room to grow in love our entire lives. Uh, just three comments about that as we wrap up this barrier. How do you grow in love? One, ask. Ask God to grow your love. Ask God to shape your mind and your heart to genuinely seek the good of others. This is God's very nature. You know, he delights to shape us in this way, and he'll do it. You've got to be careful what you ask for. Just expect that it will happen, but it may take some time. I'm not doing the Rachel Hunter thing. <laughs> Prayer, second, is also powerful, yes, but second, it can feel intangible. You know, as part of our, uh, we have our own part to play too. So this is from C.S. Lewis. I think about this all the time. It's so good. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Just act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. There's this reality engineered by our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Maker, that if you just get on acting out what a loving person would do, 
then your hearts and minds tend to follow. And number three, God hears our prayers. Yep, he acts on them. We can train ourselves into love. Yep. But in my experience, the most powerful love generator is actually really simple. Just spending time with Jesus. You know, the master host. The God man who teaches us how to live. At least one time each day to pray, to meditate on the Bible, to journal, to be still. And that time is softening my heart month by month. I can feel it. I'm changing. So the question to you today is, do you want to grow in hospitality that's motivated more and more by love? Get that pie chart more and more, the love, peace, larger and larger, smaller and smaller conflicting desires. Um, And it's pretty simple. We just ask God. We act as if we do love and we get to the quiet place with Jesus. And over time, he does his work. Um, So let me invite us to pray briefly as we leave this barrier. Just take a moment to pray in your heart and mind with me as I say this prayer from Lectio 365 and Moravian mashup here. Who are our sisters and brothers, O Lord, but all of your children? Why are the people who discomfort and disquiet us the most usually the ones who help us grow and mature? May we not hesitate to practice radical hospitality as we learn to recognize and honor your divinity in all others. Lord, I yield to your call to love my neighbor as myself, to bear with and please them and not myself, and to welcome others, especially the awkward, the embarrassing, and annoying people whom I might be tempted to avoid. Lord, help me shift my focus from myself. May I notice the needs of others as I learn to see through your eyes. Amen. Barrier one, entertaining versus hospitality. Barrier two, motivations. (laughs) They're not all that long. Don't worry, that was the big big one. Think, though, have you had your moment? Did one of those land with you? Uh, You're home free. You can cruise now. Yeah, or not, well, then maybe this one's for you. Watch out. Barrier three, our view of our home. Think about your home. Other than the obvious physical provisions, shelter and warmth, how do you see your home? Do you see your home as belonging to you, your safe haven, your secret place, your refuge from the world? Or do you view your home as belonging to God, a place of service, his dwelling place? Again, from Tim Keller, While secular individualism says that your home and possessions belong to you, the Bible says that all of your home and possessions belong to God, who then entrusts them to you. You have a moral obligation to both God and your neighbor to use your home and possessions unselfishly and with great generosity to love others with them according to your ability and to their needs. Man, take a moment to ponder that one. So just a question in your own heart and mind. Who is the true owner and master of your home? If it's you then this call to hospitality that involves eating at a table with both close friends and weird, different, difficult people will probably feel a little bit offensive to your sensibilities. I feel it. But if you grasp the reality that your home, like the whole earth and the whole cosmos, belongs to Yahweh, Lord of heaven and earth, your loving Father and his Son, Jesus of Nazareth, and the Holy Spirit, our comforter, guide, and advocate, that might change how you feel about hospitality. You know, this God loves, sees, and especially cares for the poor the oppressed, the widow, the outsider, the lonely. So he has plans for your home. You know, whether your home is spacious, opulent, and beautiful, or very tiny, messy, disheveled, that home belongs to God, and he has plans to use it to advance his kingdom. Just the question is, are you willing to see things that way? Um, Now, God is no fool. He knows we need time to be alone, time to be with close friends, time to be together as a family, time to rest, time for hobbies. He knows some of us can handle heaps of relating and socializing, and others need more quiet space. God is a God of regular and structured Sabbath rest. You know, he will not crush us with an overwhelming, overwhelming burden of hospitality. A house flooded with people until you're driven to madness. 
you know, there's a time for rest and refreshment and a time for work. And there's a time for stillness and a time for activity. He may make you uncomfortable and will push your boundaries, but he's a God of order and wisdom and tender care. You know, he's good. He's wise. His plans for you and your home are for his glory and for your good and for the flourishing of the world. His question is, do you trust him? You know, that's the real question. Do I trust him? And again, because God is so gracious, he works with those of small faith. You know, if it feels like a big ask, then just consider the next step. What does it look like to trust your home to God a little bit more this day? You know, maybe you have a small home. A few resources tend to keep to yourself. Then maybe just have an extra person over for a cup of tea. Uh, maybe you're an active host with resources to spare. And you just need to ask God to show you somebody or somebody's outside your normal guest list to eat with. You know, someone who needs some love. Someone a bit more different or difficult. You know, in the kingdom of God, there's abundance. He wants us to use what we have to bless others. So again, from Lectio, uh, consider the results of feeding the 5,000. Having fed the crowd and gathered the broken pieces, basket, 12 basketfuls of leftovers remained, one for each disciple. It was far more than they'd started with. In giving away the little they had, they left with more than enough of their daily bread. And how often have I pushed people away because I don't think I have the resources to help them? What miracle of provision might God be waiting to accomplish through me? So as we end this barrier, just pray with me again in your heart and mind. A short prayer about this one. Lord, I yield myself to the vast generosity of your provision. When my own resources seem inadequate to meet the needs I see in front of me, help me to let go of what I foolishly claim as mine alone. Lord, it is all yours, and you are good. I trust you. Barrier three. Okay, barrier four. Is it worth the effort? Okay, next one. It used to be barrier five. Um, do you see hospitality as an effective practice? At a basic level, definitely hospitality meets needs for food and shelter and comfort. It meets emotional and social needs for community and belonging, someone to talk to. And it fosters community, all right? It acts out God's heavenly justice as we care for the needy, the outsider, the widow, the fatherless, the lonely. Um, God is definitely at work in hospitality, but hospitality is also a powerful practice for advancing the gospel and for forming disciples. Let's talk about that for a minute. We know that Jesus has commanded us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything he's commanded us. But it can be really hard to actually speak about him, Jesus, to those around us, especially when you get a sense that they're a bit opposed to Christianity. You know, we live in a post-Christian culture defined as a culture where, uh, that is historically based in Christian ideas, follows simplified Christian values, but rejects the authority of Christianity and doesn't consider it the basis of either its ethics or its culture. That's where we live. Um, so this is from Rosaria Butterfield, more in a minute from her. She says, let's face it, we have become unwelcome guests in this post-Christian world. Um, our children ride their scooters in neighborhoods where conservative Christianity is dismissed or denounced as irrelevant, irrational, discriminatory, and dangerous. Christian common sense is declared hate speech by the new keepers of the culture, and the old rules don't apply anymore. Many Christians genuinely do not know what to say to their unbelieving neighbors. The language and the logic have changed almost overnight. Yeah, can anybody relate to that? Feel it in their workplace, in their community? Um, that's from Rosaria Butterfield. She's the author of a very compelling book on her own journey of what she calls radical hospitality. She basically runs a home uh, with open doors and regular meals, including dozens of people from her community and her church, uh, involving 
prayer and singing and all sorts. And the gospel comes with a house key. It's her book. Dangerous book. But in such a world as we live in, hospitality is a practice that sneaks through the defenses. You know, I'm a beginner at such hospitality. So let me just tell you more of Rosaria's story. You know, she was the model anti-Christian. She was a feminist, lesbian, LGBTQ activist, staunch atheist, and liberal academic in America. She was in the process of writing a book on the religious right and their policies, their practices, and their narratives of hatred against people like her. And to do that with with, uh, academic integrity, she knew she had to read the Bible, and she also knew that she needed to get inside the head of a true believer. So ideally, one who knew Hebrew and her Greek to help her do some deep dive into this madness. So on the way, she wrote a scathing letter in opposition to this Christian men's organization, Promise Keepers, for their backward and misogynist gender politics and their threat against democracy. Um, I attended one of these backwards conferences with my father and brother. 10,000 men, fathers and sons, praising God, learning accountability, discipleship together. It's a bit like upper click, but like on a grand scale with conferences. You know, what would you do if you read an article like that? How would you feel? Well, a local pastor, Ken, wrote her a response letter and in that invited her over for dinner. She said Ken's letter of opposition was the kindest one I'd ever received. And he had the right pedigree to help her with her research, potential unpaid research assistant. So off she went. With great trepidation, though, she almost didn't go. In her own words, to be hated for who you are carries insidious violence. And I had been on the receiving end of that before with Christians. Dealing with Christians was toxic work. Just imagine living in that world. Right? I think you'd agree you'd be hard-pressed to find a harder heart. And yet she was blown away by their loving kindness and the power of their lives and their community. She came back for another meal and another for two years, and she met Jesus. She's now married to a pastor, runs a home of vibrant hospitality with open doors to the entire community, and wrote this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Dangerous book. She was not interested in apologetics. She thought it was madness. She would not set foot in a church. She wanted to incinerate hateful Christian books and podcasts. But hospitality penetrated her bulwark of defenses and grabbed her heart for Jesus. Just took time. So is hospitality effective? Sometimes I think it's the only way. Think about how Jesus reached out to and teach and love tax collectors and sinners, the moral and social outcasts. That doesn't mean much today, tax collectors, sinners. The modern-day equivalent is probably something like ISIS leaders, white supremacists, pedophiles. You know, how does that sit with your gut? He spent time with people like this. He listened to them, and he taught them, and he challenged them over a meal. Also, hospitality was central to the spread of the gospel in the first few centuries as Christians met in homes and provided safe places in a culture without hotels, restaurants, uh, hotels, resorts, hospitals, homeless shelters, social welfare, or child care. You know, most of those services we now take for granted had their roots in Jesus' view of hospitality and the early church. The truth and the power of the gospel find their way into resistant hearts through hospitality, conversation, relationship, warmth, and care. We can all do it individually and as a church. 100 tables, that's what we're doing right now. Yes, hospitality is effective. Think, who might come to experience new life in Jesus because you invited them just for one meal? It's worth the effort. That's a challenge for me. So as we wrap up barrier four, just pray with me again in your heart and mind. This is from Lectio 365. Lord, I yield myself to your invitation, not just to believe in Christ, but to fully belong as a hospitable member of the body of Christ in the fellowship of your church. 
as your living community. May we share your loving kindness through hospitality so that others might be saved and made whole. Amen. Now, did that one get you? There's only one left. Barrier five, time. How appropriate. Um, Barrier six, time. You know what happened here? I'll tell you what happened here. I had two PowerPoint files, apparently, and I sent Sam the old one with none of the prayers and none of the text. So good on you for just having open ears and doing a little old uh, audio intake here. We're going to make it. Barrier five, shortest one, time. Oh, you poor suckers who've reached barrier five unconvinced. You have waited and waited for something to land with you. Well, maybe this is your one. We're going to get very practical here. Just consider, is anybody feeling this? If I invite just one more person over this week, my schedule explodes and so does my sanity. I am not going to recover. I'll be hospitalized until Christmas. I am too busy, I am strung out, and I'm at my limits. There may be some of you in the room. If that is you, then you're in good company. Many of us feel the pull to such busyness and you're not alone. But the reality is you cannot love if you're in a hurry. You cannot offer hospitality if you're in a hurry. So if we value hospitality, we will need to create space in our schedules. That does mean saying no to some things, perhaps saying no to many things. Just a couple suggestions. Let's just start with an honest consideration of your typical week. Any chaff in there, you know, dead weight, trivial activities, stuff that could be removed, like the the doom scrolling of the social media drug of choice, the binge watching of the streaming service of choice, Yeah, the fidgeting as this gets uncomfortable. Fighting for just one more win on your gaming platform of choice. Soothing, yes. Escapist and distracting, oh yes. But trivial, yes. Um, I'm not suggesting that every minute spent relaxing with the screen is a waste of time. I enjoy that too. Just that if you're looking for a way to create more space, it might be low-hanging fruit. Um, But then consider a second wave. Maybe your typical week again, but think about the good things you do, which are just not the best things. Maybe that could be removed. you got to especially think about uh, you multi-talented folks. You know who you are. There's so many things you could do in a week, and they're all good. But too many good things adds up to a trip to the mental health unit. <laughs> what are the best things? The best things, the things that God has actually guided you to do. And, of course, that's a hard question. Some time in quiet with the Holy Spirit, some healthy conversations in community can help sort out which is which. But whatever the case, we're not talking about piling on more duty and more responsibility and more activity. We're talking about cutting some stuff out to make space for hospitality and other people. Again, we cannot love if we're in a hurry. We cannot offer hospitality if we're in a hurry. So if this practice is important, we need to make some time. Barrier five. So, um, in summary, when I was asked to speak on hospitality... I'd read Gospel Comes with a House Key. Sam's like, you've read the book. You, you do one of the talks. I kept thinking, I don't really do much hospitality. And if hospitality is so powerful, why don't I even want to do it? What am I going to talk about? But I hope you found today, I've found it very helpful, that an honest reflection on my barriers that hold me back has been so helpful. And surely there are others in the room who've had similar barriers to me. Again, number one, because the slides are broken. Um, hospitality is not entertaining. Two, motivations. Dysfunctional motivations make it unappealing. Hospitality is meant to be founded in love, and that can grow. Ask God for more love. 
act like you do love people and you might find that it comes. And get to the quiet place with Jesus, the master of love. Three, my home or God's home? Do we trust God with our hearts and homes? Yes, he's good. Yes, you can trust him, but do you? Number four, is it worth the effort? Hospitality can build community, conquer loneliness, and in our post-Christian culture, it's an effective and powerful way to help people meet Jesus and the life found in the gospel and grow as disciples together. Yes, hospitality is worth the effort. You just might not have any stories yet, but they're coming. Five, time. Hospitality cannot be rushed. It takes time. So that means saying no to things, both trivial and good, but things that aren't the best things. So whether you're like me and you're learning to love hospitality or master, uh, or you're a master host, like some people in this room are an inspiration about how they open their doors. Uh, if we choose, if you choose individually and as families and corporately as a church to invite God to work in you and in us and shape us in our thoughts and our words and our deeds into more and more hospitable people, acting it out around the table, we get to take part in bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Guys, it's exciting. Bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth by inviting people to eat and drink. Breaking through the barriers. Break through one barrier. Just one. And when your guests say they're full, forget the rice pudding. <laughs> okay, so we're going to end with a little participation time, team. Participation time. Uh, it's going to be fun. Don't worry. Oh, fun for me, anyway. Um, no, it's really simple. It's really simple. Well, how can it, this is like my teacher hat on. It's actually really helpful to get a little feedback, and it's helpful for you to participate. Real simple. Um, which one of those five? Are they up there? Yeah, just keep in mind. There's some bonus ones there. You can imagine what I might have said. You can pick them if you want. Uh, but I'm talking about one, two, three, five, and six. <laughs> yep. One, two, three, five, and six. Four didn't make it, neither did seven. Sorry. Um, if you pick those ones, uh, just think of which one impacted you today. You know, if there was none, sorry for the misfire. Uh, that's on me. That's all good. Uh, try again next week. Sam will be back. But if you have more than one, just pick one. What one was most pressing to you? You know, which one did the Holy Spirit put upon your heart as the most important one today? Can you ever think about that? And we're just going to hold up some fingers in a moment. If you weren't impacted at all, it's fine. Or you don't like this, then just sit there. It's all good. But if, if you're on board with this little thing, then just you're going to hold up a number of fingers. One finger, number two, number three, just a sec, number five, uh, or number six. Okay, you ready? Got your idea? And here we go. Two hands, mate. To hold them up, it's really helpful to look around. Oh, we got ones and fives and threes and ones and twos. Six, yeah, uh, Israel, is your hand munted? What's going on there, mate? <laughs> yeah, okay, you put the hands down. We got them all. They're all out there. Thanks, everybody. Um, <laughs> sorry, was that insensitive? Sorry, buddy. Anyway, we're going to bring this in. Come on, focus, people, focus. Um, we're going to take a moment to be quiet, okay, as we end today. This is meant to be a moment to, to think, God, how can I move forward here? So take a moment of quiet as you ponder what he would say to you about hospitality and that barrier today. We're going to be still for a moment and just ask, God, what do you bring to mind today? Where are you leading me today? What do you want me to do? What are you going to say? He might not ask you to do anything. He might just say something, give you a picture. He might encourage you. Um, but unless we stop and think and just be still, we miss it. It'll feel a little long, but I'm going to give you um, just one minute. We've got, we've got it. We've got a minute to be still. 
uh, and just take that time now to ask, God, what are you bringing to my mind today? And then I'll end in prayer. Uh, let's just be still now. I'll just invite God to be here. Uh, Father God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, speak to each one in this space. Lord, you love hospitality. You are the master host, and we will all live in your kingdom one day in a great feast of hospitality in your heavenly city and in your presence. Speak to us today. How do you want each of us to take a next step? What encouragements or challenges do you have for each one? Speak to us in this space, God. We want to follow you in hospitality.